NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. WP Radio. It's summertime 2021, and heavens, after a long and really challenging year, it is a great time, we think, to take a breath and to think about how we can go forward with a more creative and more interest-driven learning in schools next year. I know a lot of folks are thinking about that this summer. I'm Elise Eidman Adol. I'm director of the National Writing Project. I'm coming to you from Berkeley, California. But all across the NWP network, teachers have been thinking about rethinking their teaching for next year. And so today's program is really very much about that. Our guests today are from 826. You may have heard about 826. It's a national network of really actually magical out of school writing spaces started by educator Nineveh Caligari and writer Dave Edgers. And these drop-in centers are places where young people can experience a place that's really devoted to them and their creativity. So you may know these centers, but you may not know all the work that they do working with schools and teachers creating and sharing resources for teachers and for the teaching of writing, as well as their colleagues working with young people in the out-of-school space, and increasingly conducting research and thinking about policy. So today we're eager to introduce you to more of 826, including a relatively new report they produced through 826 National called The Truth About Writing Education in America, and my favorite part, the subtitle, Let's Write, Make Things Write, as well as a collection of open educational resources that are available for educators in school and through 826 Digital. So welcome 826, really thrilled to have you all here. You get a sense of all the people that you're gonna meet in today's program. But you know, with that little context in the background, I'm actually gonna turn the hosting duties over to 826 so that I can join the other guests later in talking about the report that 826 produced. So to do that, I wanna welcome 826 Chief Executive Officer, Laura Brief. Laura, really delighted to have you. And I'm all excited to turn the microphone over to you to start us off to tell us a little bit about 826 and welcome the rest of the guests. So Laura, thank you for coming. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Elise. And thanks for that wonderful introduction of 826. Um, we're so excited to be here with you and to be here with um, many other folks who are focused on how writing education can change the world. That's great. Um, so to just touch a little bit, you're going to learn about 826 today as you learn about the report and as you learn about how we do our work from one of my colleagues a little bit later. But um, as Elise shared, since 2002, 826 has offered free writing and publishing programs that ignite the hearts and minds of students from underrepresented communities across the nation. 826 is now the largest youth writing network in the country. And together across our nine chapters in 826 Digital, this year we're working with more than 120,000 students to write a better future for themselves and for the world. And here is what we know to be true. We know that writing changes lives. It changes academic trajectories. It changes professional trajectories. We know it through our personal experiences. We know it through the transformation we see in our students and research clearly indicates so. Which brings us to this report. With this report, 826 at National aimed to bring writing education to the forefront of public policy and funding conversations by examining its current state and issuing a call of action to the field. As I think many of you know, literacy is often valued in these spaces but all too often, literacy is defined as reading alone, not writing. And at 826, and I, I think at NWP, we believe that reading is access, but writing is power. In the summer and fall of 2020, we interviewed 19 writing education experts, including authors, researchers, and educators about the current state of writing education in the US. We distilled their reflections on the benefits and challenges and inequities of writing education, and then drew on those reflections to outline recommendations to the field. 
the contributors were universal in their dismay about the current state of writing instruction. Not only has the field been underfunded and undervalued for years, but research on the state of writing education in this country is woefully behind. For example, the last time a national writing assessment for youth was reported on in America was 2011, a decade ago. So writing education in the US is a bit broken. It's inadequate for all and abhorrent for most working for very few. But as you'll hear, there's hope. You'll hear about the challenges explored in the paper as well as solutions for how we can work together to fix it. This report is, a, is the first in a series to come in which 826 will continually examine the state of writing education by presenting the research and work being done by 826 and in the field. So now we get to the good stuff. It is my great pleasure to introduce two of my colleagues and the authors of this report. Dr. Cynthia Chung is 826 Nationals Director of Research and the lead author of this study. She brings expertise in data storytelling and in conducting research to help develop and measure the impact of 826 programs. She holds a BA in psychology and sociology from Northwestern University and a PhD in developmental psychology from the University of Virginia. Gabby Oliveira is 826 Nationals Research and Systems Coordinator, AmeriCorps VISTA. She co-authored this study as part of her second VISTA term in the national office. She graduated from the University of California, Santa Cruz with a BA in sociology and literature. Cynthia, Gabby, take it away. Thank you, Laura. Um, so I'm Cynthia Chung. And I'm Gabby Oliveira. And we're very excited to present some of the highlights from the report, as well as share with all of you some of the process that we went through as we um, did the report. So share my screen. So our goals for the report were one, to establish the current state of writing education in the US, identify the challenges and gaps, and then three, call to action for continued support from the field. We hope that this report is really just the beginning of a long and meaningful conversation. But as we started digging into well, what's been published and research on the current state, we didn't find very much, but we know that there's a lot of great work going on. So we thought that the best way to move forward was to talk to the people who know best. So we identified 19 experts and we wanted a range of perspectives. So it ranged from writers like Jason Reynolds and Amanda Gorman, who we managed to sneak in a little time before the inauguration, um, to curriculum experts like Lucy Calkins, researchers like Steve Graham, and of course, experts like Elise and Antero Garcia, who you'll be hearing from in just a little bit. But we also wanted to make sure that we talked to classroom teachers. So we identified teachers from different types of schools from across the country to, and made sure that their points of views were included in this as well. So we asked all of our interviewees to um, give us three words that they felt most um, represented writing education in the United States. And we defined writing education as not just what's going on in classrooms, but also um, out of classrooms with after school programs and the like. Um, and as you can see, they were largely unimpressed um, by the state of writing education. Um, the most used words were words like unequal, uninspiring, limited, underprepared, stale. Um, all of our interviewees really wanted to give positive words because they wanted to honor um, the work that individual teachers and schools and after school programs are doing, um, you know, to create great writing experiences for students, um, but they just felt overall um, in a systemized way that unequal was the word that would most describe the writing education state. We also asked them um, to talk about what they felt were the benefits of writing. Um, so based on what they said, we broke it up into four different categories. Um, the percentages are the percentage of interviewees that mentioned this benefit explicitly. Um, so the first sort of uh, section we have is creation. Um, so this is simply just getting your thoughts down on paper um, or on digital. Um, so it's communicating your thoughts, it's being creative, expressing yourself, telling your story. Um, and then we moved into self-growth. So this is where a lot of the social emotional learning benefits of writing come in. Um, 
So reflecting on your thoughts, using writing um, to heal, to build empathy. Um, then we move into the thinking and learning benefits of writing. So this is um, critical thinking was a huge one that a lot of people mentioned. Um, and also organization, setting goals, um, learning how to research and put those thoughts down on paper. Um, and then finally, we move into empowerment. So this is, um, you know, the power to affect change, to contribute to society with your voice. Um, and we sort of saw that as um, the culmination of all of these other skills and benefits that you get from writing. So in terms of the challenges, we um, identified three key themes, and we'll get into each of the, these themes in a bit. Um, so the lack of time and priority in the classroom, yesterday's classroom, meaning that there are limits in the traditional writing space, and then also scarcity of teacher training. So in terms of lack and priority in the classroom, um, a study found that only 25% of middle schoolers and 30% of high schoolers write about 30 minutes a day. And a report by the Institute of Educational Sciences that focus on younger students, they recommended that kindergartners write at least 30 minutes a day, and by first grade, it's 60 minutes a day. So we can only assume that for middle and high schoolers, that recommendation is at least 60 minutes or more. And so we're really not meeting the mark on that in our current um, classrooms. And a second um, point on priority is a relationship between reading and writing. As all of us know, reading and writing go hand in hand. But what we're finding in the classroom nowadays is that reading instruction is taking priority over writing. In terms of yesterday's classroom, there were um, quite a few issues that came up here. So first is the lack of diversity. So in the last um, national assessment, 90% of Black and Hispanic students are not writing at proficiency levels. And another topic that came up with many of our experts about diversity is around the text that's found in classrooms. So this is both in terms of a lack of diversity in the authors um, that are in the text that we're showing to our students, as well as the content itself. And then also lack of curricula. So we've had different standards come in and out from No Child Left Behind to Common Core, but um, we often don't find enough standards aligned curricula to really match what the standards are saying. And then finally, with the lack of meaningful writing assessments. So as we said, um, this isn't about that we need to assess our students more and more all the time, but since there's no national assessment, we still need a shared language for what we mean when we talk about quality student writing. And these conversations need to happen not just among educators, but with our students as well. And the last challenge, um, scarcity of teacher training. So only 47.5% of teachers have taken one or more college course devoted specifically to writing instruction. And about half of the teachers, and this was in a survey of thousands of teachers across our nation. So half don't feel that they have sufficient PD to successfully teach the current standards. And many of our experts said that when teachers don't feel confident in teaching something, they tend not to teach it. So this is all contributing to the lack of time and priority as well. So from those interviews and conversations and research that we did, um, we came up with four recommendations for the field. So the first one is redefine the classroom. So this is encouraging students to continue writing anywhere, anytime about anything and on any platform. Um, so not just, you know, the five paragraph essay, um, but making sure that curriculum is student centered and they're writing about what they want to and they're using, you know, different social media and online platforms um, to really redefine what writing can mean inside the classroom. Um, and then we also recommended reuniting reading and writing. So making the relationship between those two things uh, more explicit um, through discussion and publishing student work. Um, and start early too, you know, start in kindergarten with those 30 minutes of writing a day. Um, and then identify teachers as writers. So establishing communities of practice for teachers to learn and grow as writers. Um, so making sure, as Cynthia was saying, that teachers feel confident um, about writing and therefore feel confident in passing that skill on to their students. 
Um, and finally, leveling the playing field, which I think is the most important. So investing in the writing education of those who need it most, um, those who don't have the same level of access to high quality educational opportunities, um, whether that be because of socioeconomic reasons or school location, um, just making sure that everyone has access to writing education. And then along with those recommendations, um, we also included a section about our role, A26's role, um, you know, in this continuing conversation um, about writing education. Um, so redefining the classroom, one thing I think that A26 does at its core is just providing time and priority for writing. Um, we're either having students in our centers writing or we're going into schools and, um, you know, providing that explicit time. Um, and then also we create student-centered curricula. So our chapters are creating curricula that is responsive to students' needs. Um, and so is our online platform, 826Digital. Um, and then also assessment. So we've been working with NWP um, to create a shared language for talking about student work um, and then using that assessment um, to go back you know, into our programs and really make sure that we're tailoring instruction to you know what students are are doing and how they're scoring in their assessments um, and then the second one reuniting reading and writing so h6 is all about publishing student work um, that's our big thing so just amplifying student voice and um, also bringing in writing professionals to really um, solidify that link in between reading and writing um, they don't happen separately they are together always um, and then identifying teachers as writers. So this is where we see A26 Digital really playing a part, um, starting to create you know, more community spaces for teachers to come in um, and talk together about writing. And then also just growing our teacher and school partnerships. So um, just making sure that chapters are being as responsive as possible to teachers' needs as well as students. Um, and then finally, leveling the playing field. So uh, outreach to representative communities and classrooms, 826 um, tries to work as much as possible with underrepresented communities, underrepresented communities. Um, and then also reaching beyond chapters with 826 Digital. So getting out of the cities where we have our chapter sites um, and making sure that every student in the country has access to writing education. And that's our summary. So you can download the full report here, um, a26national.org backslash research. And back to you, Laura. Thanks so much for sharing all of that, Cynthia and Gabby. We really appreciate it and are really excited to dig more into it with um, some of the, the folks who were interviewed for this research report. So I'd love to now turn to our panel, who, as I mentioned, were interviewed for the, for the report and hear more about their thoughts on the issues raised. We're honored to have Ontario Garcia and, of course, NWP's own Elise, who you heard from a little bit earlier. Ontario is a professor at Stanford University and studies how technology and gaming shape youth learning, literacy practices, and civic identities. He's also formerly an English teacher in Los Angeles. Elise, as you know, is the executive director of NWP. You may not know that she was also formerly a high school English teacher, a journalism teacher, and a university professor. And last but not least, and in fact, the person that I'm most excited to be introducing is um, Asia Herrera, who'll be leading our panel in what I know will be a really fantastic conversation. Asia is an alumni from 826 Boston and now continues to work with the Boston team as a teaching artist for the Youth Literacy Advisory Board. Last year, she was a finalist for the Boston Youth Poet Laureate position, and we are so proud to have her here today. Asia, before we dive in with our panel, I was hoping you would tell us a little bit about your own experience as a writing student. Would you mind sharing a little bit with, of that with us? Absolutely. Um, I had my first experience with writing when I was very young. I wrote my first book um, when I was seven and since I've written many more. As a homeschool student, reading and writing for me were always very interconnected in a symbiotic relationship. A few years ago, I became a tutor at 826 Boston and realized that not everyone had a healthy relationship with writing or reading. Students feared the blank 
page and wondered what they could possibly write about. After reading 826 National's report, I began to understand why there was such a disconnect. Let's welcome our panel who made this possible, Antero and Elise. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to jump straight into our questions for today. My first question is for Elise. What does student-centered writing curriculum look like? Okay, so start me off with that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would say a couple things, and then I'm sure that Antero can also um, amplify. One of, the, one of the things that to me is so significant about writing itself, I sort of have to start there, is that it is one of the most powerful tools for following your own interest. If you imagine sort of writing and what it can do for people to have uh, an interest, a question, something to pursue, and the fact of doing it through writing, a project with writing is like a through point for people to learn something they're interested in and, and be able to see what they're learning and through revision, figure out what it is that they got wrong in their thinking and what they want to get right in their thinking. So I think one big part of a student-centered writing curriculum is one, letting students write and follow their own interests, identify some questions that are important to them. I think that's one big piece. Um, and another big piece is one that I, I think already came up with a report and that's not only reading writers, other writers, but reading other young people's writing publishing my writing and people will read it, reading writing by folks like me, who look like me, who feel like me, who are my age, as well as all those other pieces of writing that introduce me to people who are not like me or from different times and places. We have a lot of that in the curriculum, but we don't have quite so many places in the curriculum for us to, to read each other's work. Uh, and I think both of those help it feel like writing is something I can use for my purposes in a community of writers. Uh, and to me, that would be a part of it. Thank you. Um, my next question is for Antero. How has technology influenced student writing? What is an example of student writing that has gone beyond the traditional format? Yeah, thanks, Cecilia. I'll give, I'll give an example in a second, um, but I'm gonna do the jerky professor thing of follow up on, maybe it's a polit politician move, a follow up on Elisa's comment. This is like how the debates always work. Um, and I think it's related to technology, right? But I think one of the biggest tensions when we do you know, a student-centered writing approach is if you let kids write about whatever they want, which I hope teachers take up and do, you better be prepared for whatever kids choose to write about in your classroom, right? You, they, Kids have a whole bunch of innovative and amazing things to say, and it may not fit within particular boundaries of what might be seen as permissible or appropriate um, or write or written within standard academic English in all of these ways. And so I just want to recognize like this is both the beauty of what writing is and, and the ways that writing needs to be unbound from the quote unquote traditional classroom. This is where technology fits into this, right? I think about uh, as, as a Luddite, I don't understand TikTok and I'm fascinated by it. I don't understand what happens on it. Or how to even make a talk if maybe maybe that's the the singular um but i think it's such a complex multimodal form of writing uh and and, it, and the ephemerality and the ways the search algorithm works for it is really fascinating right this is a moment where what we count out what we count as writing in our classrooms today just looks so fundamentally different from the meaningful ways that kids are actually writing every day or, or participating, right? Your writing might be clicking a heart button or a like button on, on a social media product. And I, I wonder, you know, where do those kinds of practices count uh, in the ways that we are readers and writers in our everyday life? In probably most of the time that kids are outside of school, they're producing in complex texts using technology and again, the, the difficulty is the things that kids are writing and reading on are the things that oftentimes they are not allowed to do, um, and but might do illicitly within our classrooms, um, in their pockets or on their laptops in our in our, um, in classrooms. Hopefully, as we're going back into physical spaces right now. Absolutely. So, um, if I could just ask both of you, do you think what we define as writing needs to fundamentally change, um, as it seems that our generation or my generation has has changed 
or is so different? I think Antero and I probably both agree that absolutely, it, it not only has to, but in fact, it has. Uh, so it, it's, it's not that um, a set of scholars or teachers actually get to own the definition when people's writing lives are so much more expansive. So um, it, it has all already happened. Uh, and I think that one of the things Antero's examples point to is one, of course, with digital tools, number one, that let us make different things. I know when I was growing up, the thought that I could make a video was just not possible. The equipment was expensive. It was rare, uh, that kind of thing. You would have to really be in a privileged spot to be able to make a film, let's say. Uh, and now you can almost accidentally, I'm sure right now somebody is accidentally filming something because they hit a button on their camera. Uh, we know, we see it. People's their feet walking up the street because their camera video is recording them go up the street. So digital tools let us make different things, all of which we use to express ourselves like writing and to share them in, in different ways through internet connectedness. And then the issue of the places we do that being governed by algorithm, algorithms and other sorts of designs that mean that we're actually not completely in control of our own publication in any meaningful way if we ever really were. So all of that has changed, whether we recognize it or not. I think that Antero's examples point to a really important thing, which is that I know there'd be people who would be saying, well, I don't know that especially young people who need to grow their skills for all kinds of purposes, is this about just letting them make TikToks, let's say, or something like that. I think that one of the things that the examples point to is that actually the places and times where we write are now all the time. It's not that we only write in schools, one. So we don't much leverage in any way what we're learning by writing outside of school in school. There's so much about like, rhetorical structures or genres that could be learned by analyzing what's happening on TikTok. Whether it's about teaching us to make TikToks, probably a lot of teachers are not the best source <laughs> of expertise in making TikToks. I know I wouldn't be, uh, but actually like the rhetorical and writing curriculum is so deeply informed by those experiences. So we don't even really bring them in as subject matter and that just would expand how we would understand what writing is if we did that. I, mean, I think, Elise, your, your point reminds me of the, the data that started this presentation of, you know, the vast majority of kids are, are not writing more than less or writing less than 30 minutes a day, right, as a, as a kind of terrifying fact. And I actually think, you know, if we recognize the texting, the engagement, the communication with friends, the making of TikToks or Instagram stories or whatever, whatever the things, all of the things everywhere, right? I imagine many, many, many of the kids that we're thinking about right now are writing and engaging in deep, complex literacy practices for many hours every day, right? But it's just in ways that do not count in terms of what academic schooling sees, right? Uh, and this feels like, and tactically, tactically, tact, what, what is, I'm, I'm, I'm flummoxed with my words, right? But the ways that students are writing uh, is probably not written by hand or with kind of your hand, your fingers on the home row. Uh, it is this kind of thumb-driven writing probably to some extent. Um, it's a different kind of physicality. It's a different kind of use of maybe text-to-speech or speech-to-text, I'm getting these backwards. Um, there's so many different ways of what writing looks like and how it happens that um, is exciting, uh, probably terrifying for uh, fuddy-duddy uh, English education teachers, right, the people who are preparing teachers, right, we, we are not equipped for these skills, despite the fact that this is where our world is, right, this is how, um, if a key purpose of writing is for young people to engage in the world around them and to be able to make meaningful interactions and relationships and do all the vocational stuff that matters too, um, they, they're, they are in the thick of it right now and doing it really well, and it's just in ways where we don't, we don't put the words writing next to what they do, we call it texting or we call it um, being on their phones or in social media or hanging out with friends, but all of that is tied deeply, deeply to what writing is and the very purpose of what writing is about to me. It's all, it sounds almost as if um, 
we recognize writing as this sort of archaic tool that hasn't changed um, and shouldn't change, right? Or that there is a standard that writing must remain this kind of archaic practice um, because there's a fear of, of it becoming something else. <laughs> um, and that kind of goes into my next question a little, um, which is for Elise. Do you think that the definition of what a writer and writing is has something to do with teachers not identifying as such? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think part of it is uh, what we've been talking about in terms of the definition. But um, I think that, that first off, there's no reason to assume that because you're a teacher that you yourself had a wonderful and liberating and sustaining writing education. Even if you can answer those surveys that say that you did have a course, you did this, you, it, you may have left it in some ways damaged. <laughs> um, and I think that, that then as a teacher, uh, it's a very, it can be a very fearful thing. So first off, let's not just assume because you're a teacher that, and because you had maybe some support to learn to write, that that was um, a sustaining and enriching and empowering education. That would be one thing. Um, the second thing I think would be that, that for a lot of teachers, and I would say here, my colleagues in English departments, former English teacher that I was, I think it's almost harder for us because we have been, have been taught, many of us, that writing comes to genius, you know, like from the beyond into the mind of great genius author. And now we have this work of literature and our job is to introduce young people to these genius authors. It almost makes writing un more unattainable uh, than it might be for other teachers who understand that in a way, like if you're a science teacher, you use writing to transact science knowledge all the time. Uh, but I think for English teachers, sometimes it's, it's even harder. It's almost more nervous making. And then the last piece is I think that for a lot of us, when we go into the profession uh, to teach that, I know this happened to me the first year or two I was teaching, like you lose your common sense about writing. You find yourself doing things because you think that's what teachers are supposed to do or school taught you to do this. Like everybody has to first outline their paper and then write it, which invariably happens before you know what you have to say. So you're like making outlines or finding three points because there's supposed to be some magical thing like a five paragraph essay. And you're searching for three points to make rather than figuring out what you have to say and by revision, figuring out your real stance on something. Uh, so we teach those things because they look like professional practice. The other, we see other people doing that. And I think all of that makes it hard for us sometimes to actually be a writer. And it sometimes takes a real, we do a lot of this in the National Writing Project, create conditions for people to experience writing for all those reasons that were on the earlier slide, for figuring out what you have to say, for communicating to other people, for expressing yourself and really using writing. Uh, and then you come through that and you start to feel like a writer and you go back sometimes, it happened to me, into your own teaching and say, well, that was silly. Why would I, I wouldn't wanna do that as a writer. Why would I have my students do that as a writer? That doesn't make any sense. But you have to go sometimes through a process to kind of get in touch with that feeling of being a writer. Absolutely. And I kind of wanted to touch briefly on, on um, your last two points. I think um, when, I be, when I became a writer, I mean, I always was, but mm -hmm. when I sort of had, had a more deep appreciation for writing, when you read literature afterwards, your point of view has completely been altered, right? Um, and so that's why I think what you were saying about teachers kind of, um, and sometimes English teachers can have a hard time sort of introducing this literature because the way that they're viewing it is they're like deconstructing the sentences word for word and being like, how did this person even do this? Like my mind is blown, right? Um, which is a totally genuine point of view. Um, <laughs> but, um, there are other ways to look at literature. And I also think, um, 
that that point of view only comes from having written something similar, right? Um, so now you kind of have this tool to be able to like see beneath all of these like really complex like sentence structures. Um, and also I think um, that we <laughs> we make writing out to be something that that has a a structure and has a tried and true method when I think oftentimes many authors will tell you, many writers will tell you, no, I have no idea how I did that. Um, I was fooling around with words and that's how it turned out. <laughs> um, right. So I, I think I think um, that kind of goes into my next question um, for Enturo. How can writing be a tool for cross-generational communication instead of an inhibitor? I love that question. I think I kind of want to pick up on what you're saying about, you know, when you, you were always a writer, but when did you know you were a writer, right? I think, I think that's such an interesting idea because in some sense, like our, our, maybe our public media perceptions of what does a writer look like oftentimes are, you know, this kind of person with a pen, right? I'm a very analog person. Like it's, you have to, you have to, you have to be writing in this profound way, or maybe you're a reporter or you sit deeply with a novel, right? These are, I think these are the kinds of, um, good, but maybe hackneyed depictions of what writing looks like. And I think if we shift to all of us are writers, right? Every student who walks into my classroom is a natural writer and they are, they are conveying their ingenuity, right? I really appreciate your phrase of like fooling around with words. The ways that we assess writing in, in schools is not about fooling around at all, right? Like where's the playfulness around writing? And so to me, when we think about cross-generational opportunities, you know, I have almost two-year-old uh, daughters, twin daughters, and uh, I live up in Redwood City, but most of our family is in Los Angeles. And so the ways that they get to be in communication with my, my children, other than kind of FaceTime videos or when they're up here, is through the ways that I send media products back to them in, in various social media things, right? This might be an Instagram post or a Marco Polo, I think is one of the apps we use. Um, and these are compositional practices that, that we use, right? That I'm using... Uh, the tools of writing of multimodal production in order to engage with with other people. This is this is a kind of localized example. But I think about you know if I go on Twitter and start an argument, which I don't recommend for anybody, um, but but as a kind of practice, um, that is a place where I'm I'm deeply wondering about audience. How am I going to communicate to my friends? How am I going to communicate to other people? Um, and the power the the power about writing today is that anybody has the opportunity for better and worse um, to go online and be heard by many, many other people who have very different worldviews and different kinds of experiences than what we have. So what does it mean uh, to fool around with words when we have this kind of grand platform, um, or at least I think use the word amplification or amplify earlier, right? When, when all of our words could be amplified, what are the huge possibilities of, of fooling around and how can we make it safe and playful for young people to, um, to play around both in maybe a smaller pool as well as in this kind of broader world is what I'm thinking about with, with this question personally. Absolutely, thank you. Um, and I'm going to quickly turn it back over to Laura since we are pretty much out of time already. That flew by. This is the part of my job that I just don't like that much. This discussion is so good. I'm, I'm really loath to, to disrupt it. I want to hear more, but um, Asiya is right. We're just about out of time. So I have one last question, and this one is for you, Asiya. Um, what advice would you give a teacher to help engage their students in writing? I think when I first became a tutor at, at a26 Boston, I was, a lot of the times the students would be like, oh, well, what can I write about? Um, when they just spent the past 20 minutes telling me this hilarious story about their cat. And I was like, well, why don't we write that? Um, and I think it's kind of connecting writing to their, their lives, right? Um, because again, as we have been saying that writing has become this tool that seems foreign um, and we've made write, put writing on this almost elevated level um, that feels almost unattainable for um, young people and just people in general, honestly. Um, so we need to normalize the fact that writing um, does not, is not always this super complex, super mm -hmm. literary um, 
device. Sometimes it's just a funny story about a cat and that's great. <laughs> Sometimes it's a script for a YouTube video about a funny cat and that's great. Sometimes it's a TikTok about a cat and that's also great. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best way to like sort of just connect it back to their lives in that way. Thank you, Asiya. Thank you for thank you for those last words. And thank you, Elise. Thank you, Antara. And thank you, thank you again, Asiya, for those incisive, insightful questions and for the thoughtful discussion. Um, so now we're going to transition to talking about next steps and more practical application. Um, and to begin to think about how you might be able to continue this conversation with your colleagues, your administration, and in the classroom. And to do that, I'd like to introduce Anna Griffin, our 826 digital manager. Anna is a former high school English teacher in New Orleans and Chicago. And 826 Digital is an online platform that's free from 826 National that features writing curriculum for teachers to inspire students grades one through 12 to write with confidence. So um, Anna, I'd like to invite you to the stage. Thank you so much, Laura. And um, just before I start with next steps today, I just want to say that I hope that what you heard from our incredible panel today and from the ideas that were shared through our research report that um, those things both resonate and inspire you to some further action. And so to that end, I am pleased to share some suggested next steps for you to take this conversation and these ideas shared here into your learning space and to think about how you can apply some of those um, insightful ideas into your work and practice. Okay, and on a logistical note, uh, you can find all of the resources that we reference here via the link that's in the event description below. So to start off with the first next step uh, for reflection, um, to think about how you can take these ideas, what's most exciting from what you heard here today, and how you can apply that to your classroom, your school, your learning community, and also your personal learning. What do you want to find out more about? Um, what can you further investigate to um, think about how you can apply some of those changes and what excites you to share those things with your students? And then also challenges that you see, either with the current state of writing instruction in your classroom, your school, um, your personal learning, what are those challenges that you're recognizing, uh, and also challenges that you anticipate if you were to rethink and change and, and apply some of these um, ideas and practices, what challenges could you anticipate? So suggested guide, guidelines to, to take you through that reflection. Another next step that we recommend is to bring the conversation to your professional learning communities. So with your school leaders sharing some of these questions that you find here with your department team, what are those questions that you can bring in conversation together, work towards some collective action um, to rethink and make some shifts in your writing instruction across your learning communities. Another next step that I'm excited to share more with you on today is to sign up for 826 Digital. This is the first time that you're hearing about 826 Digital. I'm so pleased to introduce you to our online platform for educators. This is an incredible space to find resources that are really aligned to some of the ideas that you heard today. Um, so quickly, what is 826 Digital? A holistic overview of the site. As Laura mentioned, it is a free um, online platform for educators that features writing lessons and resources for grades one through 12. Uh, all writing genres are, are covered um, across the resources that you'll find, as well as some genres that um, are not as typically represented in standard writing curricula, such as poetry, such as visual and performing and media arts. So some wonderful cross-curricular genres that you can find there as well. Um, what you'll find is all ready to use for the classroom, easy to share with students. Um, so handouts and slides that are associated with lessons are all included in the download um, and also easy to share with students online. 
Uh, and then this year we were so proud to build our writing prompts, which we call writing sparks from acclaimed authors and poets, including Jason Reynolds and Amanda Gorman, who also contributed to the research report. A fantastic way to bring some of their creative um, and, and powerful ideas about writing for everyone um, to, and bring those together with your students. Um, and everything is designed by teachers. And so with that, I am going to show you just one of the lessons that we have on the site to give you a taste of how you could potentially use this with your uh, writing curriculum and with your students. So I'm popping into one of our main um, resource pages, which is lessons. And on this page and on every page that you see across the site, you'll see that you can search by the grade level that you are um, teaching and also the writing type that you might be looking for. So for this, I will choose grade eight and we'll say informational. And clicking into one of our most popular lessons from the previous year, which is called Essential Words, Letters of Gratitude to Essential Workers. And on every lesson, you can see a snapshot uh, summary of what the lesson entails, uh, the grade levels that are recommended, the writing type um, where we have standards aligned to those writing genres, the commitment that you're looking at. So we recommend for this lesson, at least two class sessions of about one hour each, and then what is included in the download for this lesson, um, lesson instructions for the teacher and also handouts for the student. At the top, you can see how you can save those resources, either saving that to Pinterest or downloading to your computer uh, and also to Google Drive that is integrated as an option. And if you just scroll down here, it gives you a taste of everything that's included in one lesson. The objective, what your students will learn is right at the top, along with common core alignments that are included for the recommended grade band, what your students will produce. So the piece of writing, the draft, um, what that looks like at the end of this lesson. For this, it's a letter of thanks to essential workers in students' community. Just calling out that in this lesson and increasingly uh, for some lessons on 826 Digital, we have the opportunity for students to submit their work for an opportunity to be featured on our student writing gallery. And all of the, the titles that you see below are letters of thanks that were penned by students from across the country and are now featured as mentor texts that are included in the lesson. So a wonderful way to introduce um, students to different types of writing from peers across the country uh, and just a, a way to inspire and guide their thinking as they go through the lesson. So that's included there. And then what you will do, instructions for the teacher um, and facilitator, is very comprehensive, everything from what you and your students will need to how to begin, how to set up um, questions for discussion, everything that you need to facilitate the lesson, along with handouts being linked again for your students. So that gives you a sense of what else is included on the site. We hope that you do consider making an account uh, and seeing what else is there to inspire your um, teaching. And with that, I'm going to go back to our presentation and also mention that in the link via the, the, the description below, you'll be able to find an 826 Digital Educator Guide, which is a curated list of resources from across 826 Digital. And it's just a wonderful jumping off point to find some of our most popular and powerful writing resources across the site. And those are categorized by the benefits of writing that we were um, we named earlier from the research report. So there are writing prompts that tie directly to the purpose of writing, of writing to create, um, and also writing prompts and lessons that tie directly to um, civic engagement and affecting change through writing. So it's a, a great tool to use if you're new to the, um, the site and just digging in um, for ways to increase these writing opportunities in your classrooms. And then finally, uh, links to share the report, uh, both the full report and an easy to share fact sheet with your colleagues. And we invite you to take our 826 National Annual Writing Educator Survey, which is currently live. 
Um, and this survey will allow us to dive deeper into the findings, um, the challenges and recommendations that were shared here today. Uh, we will be creating a report on the state of writing education each year and furthering this research into the field of writing education. And your feedback and your experiences via the survey will be the basis of our report for next year. So we invite you to take the survey um, and thank you so much for, for considering. We hope to hear from you and your experiences. And with that, let's bring back Elise for a few final thoughts today. Well, thank you all. Um, that uh, that last piece is so significant that uh, this is something that 826 would be uh, continuing for several years. What folks in the writing community probably know is that um, that writing, which has been called the neglected R, reading, writing, and arithmetic, that, uh, that writing would be the neglected R ever since uh, a 2004 report from the National Commission on Writing, uh, is in some ways even more out of the policy conversation right now. Uh, some of the data that were shared and that are used in the report come from the NAEP assessments on the teaching of writing, on writing and the, and the surveys that go along with it. Those have been postponed to 2027. So in addition to the length of time we've had before there's been a major policy statement on the teaching of writing, there now may be many, many, many years before that. Um, and at a time when attention, again, is very strongly focused on reading, um, not literacy as both reading and writing, but reading quite specifically, uh, anything that we can do to keep people's attention on the teaching of writing and the importance of it is really significant. So thank you, 826, for contributing to that. Um, I love that part of what you said earlier, that reading is access and writing is power. And we want both of those things for young people. So thank you for helping to contribute that. Um, folks, if, you're, if you follow NWP Radio, as we've said, you will find the links that you need at the bottom of the show page, just underneath the video. And if you are interested in joining groups that might continue to think about the report or build it into their PLCs, as was suggested, or in other ways, imagine how to use some of this material to make the case for writing locally, along with the other things that we can do locally, uh, feel free to have a conversation about that in NWP's um, social interactive space called the Right Now Teacher Studio. You can find that at studio.nwp.org. It would be a great place to talk about all of this. Uh, and we have some 826 members who are there in the studio and could be perhaps also chiming in on some of your comments. Thank you again. Thank you, Antero, also for joining us. And Asya, that, uh, thank you for leading us through that, um, that panel part. It was great to have you all here. Uh, we appreciated it. Uh, we, we appreciate it. And NWP Radio listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank You're you. listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP.